Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, good morning, kids. How are you? Good. What is that? How many of you know what transformers are? What is, does anyone know what this transformer is? Optimus Prime. Is he the coolest? You don't know? Okay. Who, who has a favorite transformer? What's your favorite transformer? Can you show? Yeah, he's going to show you how. But while he's showing you how this transforms, let me, let me share a little lesson with you real quick, okay? The first thing I want you to know, in the, in the Bible story that we're studying today in this room, it's all about being transformed. And how many of you know that when you follow Jesus, he transforms you from who you are into who you could be and should be? Anyone know that? How, how does the Lord transform us? Does anyone know? Any ideas? Oh, this is, this is distracting, isn't it? <laughs> Fair enough. I should have seen that coming. Yeah. I'm going to slide closer to Mr. Joe, but keep a safe COVID distance. Okay. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he helps transform us from the inside as we follow Jesus. And part of being transformed is not doing things we shouldn't do. Does anyone know what the Bible calls things we shouldn't do? Sin. That's right. The Bible talks about sin and how we've, we've all sinned and made mistakes but the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us to teach us to say no to sin, to teach us to say no to things that are wrong. But that's not what transformation is. That's only part of it. Part of being transformed is not doing bad things. What do you think the other part is? Any ideas? If it's not just doing bad things, how about doing, doing good things? Great job, Miles. Yeah, doing good things is part of what it means to be transformed. So there's a verse I want to share with you this morning. As we think about how God transforms our lives, we look one way when we come to him, but as we follow him, we are changed and we begin to look differently. And one of the verses in our, our Bible study for today is Ephesians 4.29. And that verse says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Whoa, that's awesome. But only what is useful for building others up. So it may benefit those who listen. So in that little verse, it tells us two things, part of being transformed. One is not to say anything bad or mean to others. The other is actually to say something good to others and to build others up. Optimus Prime. That is great. How many of you would rather be Optimus Prime than a truck? Right? So we want to let, that's right, we want to let the Holy Spirit change us, right? So we look completely different than we did when we first began. We look like, oh, I can't give this to you. It would cause a war. All right. So with, with that in mind, yeah, that's right. So not only saying something, uh, unkind, don't say unkind things to people, but say kind things. Can you think of someone in your life who needs to be encouraged? Is there some, a friend you have at school maybe that gets picked on or seems lonely that you could be someone to encourage them? Right? The Bible doesn't want us just to not say mean things. We're called to actively live a, a faith-filled life where our words benefit others. Let me give you an example. How many of you have met Pastor Randy? Right? Pastor Randy's our new transition pastor. Remember, he's the one who brought the dog in, in case you're confused. He brought pebbles, right? And, and Pastor Randy, I just want to say what a gift you have been to this church already since you got here. Uh, when, amen, right? When we met you, we instantly loved you. 
And I was telling someone the other day that the more time that we spend with you, every interaction that Becky and I have with you and Carrie, we appreciate you more. And your genuine love for the church, your love for God is so transparent. The fact that you sacrificed what you did to be here, to help us, to lead us, to guide us, we are grateful for you and we appreciate you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's an example to say nice things and encourage people and, and to really mean them in your heart. Okay, so that's, that's part of how we're called to be transformed. It's letting our mouths be transformed to speak positive and not negative. Can I get an amen up in here with the young disciples? All right. Who wants this? Sorry, it's not mine. Okay. <laughs> Hey, after the service, you guys can come back and play with Optimus Prime. But for now, I want to release you to go back to your seats or go to your Sunday school class, and we'll see you later.
Well done. What a great, powerful video. Well, as you all know, we are in this series called Life Together. And I just want to say welcome to all of you. So glad you are here. Uh, My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. And whether you're joining us online or in this room, we are glad that you are choosing to do life together with all of us. And now through September 12th, um, we're going to be looking at what it means to continue to choose to do life together. Because one thing the pandemic has shown us is it's easy to drift and to do life alone. It's easy uh, because we're forced sometimes to retreat um, that it's easy to get in these unhelpful and unholy rhythms of thinking that doing life by ourselves is enough. But God wants us to do life together. And how many of you know that these past 12 months, 18 months, have been really difficult, right? We've been through a global pandemic We've been through uh, uh, division in our nation like, like we've never seen with uh, polarized political viewpoints. We've been through tragedies in our families. We've been through loss in our church. Uh, and the world just seems like it is going absolutely nuts. Um, but it's important in these moments when everything around us seems to be crumbling and unraveling that we remind ourselves of our calling as followers of Jesus to do life together. And the book of Ephesians is, has been our guide during this series in helping us to see what it means to really be a follower of the Lord. And throughout the next few weeks, you're going to be seeing some more videos and stories of what God has done in our church in spite of everything that we've been facing in the world around us. Coming up in the next few weeks, we'll be sharing information about our church's finances where our budget currently is. Um, We'll be looking ahead um, to see what's happening with our capital campaign and our vision to be for Boulder with love. We're going to continue to invite you to share in, in the Holy Spirit's calling for the priesthood of all believers to use your gifts to make a difference in this community and in our church uh, and, of course, in the wider world. And we want to recognize that in the midst of how difficult this past season has been, we still have so many reasons to celebrate. Right? God has been at work. He's been moving in our hearts and lives. We have a new preschool launching very soon that we're going to share with our community and celebrate together what God has done. We have a, a, a successful financial capital campaign in a year of a pandemic. God has provided so generously through you all. We want to celebrate that. We have our new name of Grace Commons that we want to celebrate. Uh, and, and most importantly, we want to celebrate the faithfulness of God In this church, we want to celebrate the gift of one another and recognizing that God has called us into this moment to do life together. So, we want to continue to invite you over the coming weeks and throughout this fall to jump in and do life together with one another. Uh, There are several ways, Asher already mentioned them. Let me just repeat them because they say when something's really important, you should repeat it at least twice. So we have common space groups kicking off. Sign-ups are live. If you're not in a common space group, I can't urge you strongly enough. In fact, as Paul says in, in our text for today, I urge you, in fact, I insist on it in the Lord. 
that you get in a common space group because it's a great place to be connected to one another. We invite you to continue to, to give financially. Uh, if you haven't filled out the pledge card you received in the mail, we encourage you to do that. Uh, if you don't have one, again, they're at the Welcome Center. We invite you to give to what God is doing in this church and to give so that this church can continue to make an impact and a difference in the world. And finally, we want to invite you to serve. We don't believe just in, in growing together relationally, but also in serving together and making a difference in the world. And this church has a multitude of incredible ministry opportunities. In fact, last week we talked about that. There's a table in the narthex where you can go and find out how can you use your gift to make a difference in this body. And I would be remiss if I didn't give one more plug for Love Local before I start to preach. All right, Love Local might be the greatest thing we're going to do during that week when it's happening. So I invite you to be part of it. Uh, September uh, 19th through uh, 26th, we have many opportunities to sign up, and we want to just blitz our community with the love of Jesus. We're going to have outreaches every day, different opportunities from, from serving a meal to our police to uh, going out on the streets with sandwiches uh, to serve food to the homeless to baking cookies for firefighters. There is a place for you to get engaged and get plugged in. So I invite you to either sign up online. We also have a table again. As you leave the church this morning, you can sign up to get involved and be part of doing life together. Okay, you guys were, that's awesome. Well done. Okay, now, can I preach? All right, we're going to have some fun. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever been called out for doing something bad? You've been named and shamed publicly. Anyone? Yeah, how many of you remember that sinking feeling in your stomach when that happened? For many of us, that happened. Our earliest memories are from, from childhood. Um, and I had a first grade teacher. Her name was Miss Fogel. And uh, Miss Fogel, this was back in the days when we didn't have all these rules about not hitting kids and stuff. All right. So every now and then, I know it's hard to imagine, but every now and then I would do something naughty and disobedient in class, even as a sweet little angel, as a first grader. And Miss Fogel would walk over to my desk and she would grab my ear, twist it, and then drag me over to the corner. I kid you not. And sit me in the corner and say, get in the corner. And I'd have to stay in the corner in front of the whole class. And for some reason, honestly, that only happened once a week or so. Uh, <laughs> but I remember that feeling of being called out, right? That, that happens to so many of us. We get called out. And often when I hear the phrase called out, I think of getting called out because I've done something bad. But how many of you know God doesn't just call us out through conviction when we're doing something bad. He also calls us out to do something good. He calls us out and consecrates us and sets us apart to make a difference in the world. So there's a moment where we are called out to be transformed. The title of the message today is, is Off with the Old and On with the New. We're going to examine what does a transformed Christian life look like. And I know what you're thinking, but, but I've heard that God loves me and accepts me the way I am. And that's absolutely true. God loves you just as you are. With all your sin, warts, and mistakes, he loves you. That will never change. But here's the deal. He loves you too much to leave you that way. Right? He wants to see you transformed. He wants to see you changed. And in our text today, uh, as we look, continue looking in Ephesians 4, Paul is giving us uh, the secrets, if you will, of a transformed life. How are we transformed together in Christ? And so we're going to look at that. I'm going to give you three what I'll call quick points. 
Well, we'll see how quick they are. But I'm going to give you three. Keys to being transformed. Characteristics of a transformed life. And the first one is this. Put off the old. Put off the old. Let's look at this passage one more time if you have your Bibles open. Ephesians 4, 17. Paul writes this. He said, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. This is one of my new favorite phases. I'm going to use this with my kids. Kids, bring me a cup of coffee. I insist on it in the Lord. We'll see if it works. I mean, it sounds so powerful and authoritative, doesn't it? So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate it from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What a somber passage to recognize that there are those in our midst who continue to live as the Gentiles do, even though we've been changed, even though we've given our hearts and lives to Christ, even though the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit now lives in us, we continue to live in sin and make bad decisions and live in the futility and darkness of our thinking. We continue to be ignorant sometimes, not you but your neighbor, okay? Continue to be ignorant sometimes, and we continue to carry on in sin even though we have the life-giving power inside of us to be transformed. We don't want to be darkened in our understanding or separated from the life of God, do we? So it's absolutely imperative that we allow our hearts and our lives to be transformed. And Paul says this, having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and when you were taught with accordance, when you were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. That is not how we've learned to live. So we need to first, if we are going to be transformed, the very first thing we have to do is to put off the old. What is the old? It's the old flesh tendencies. It's the way that we try to get legitimate needs met in illegitimate ways, right? We all have needs to be loved and accepted and to feel fulfillment and peace, but what happens with sin is we we look for illegitimate ways to meet those legitimate God-given needs, and we allow ourselves to drift into sin. We allow ourselves to lose sensitivity to the Spirit, to become ignorant in our thinking, and, and our hearts to become hard, What a scary thing that to recognize that sin hardens hearts. When we sin, our heart slowly becomes harder and harder. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, look at this passage, verses 12 and 13. The author of Hebrews says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hear that. Sin is deceitful. Do not underestimate what a little bit of sin can do to your heart. I encourage you not to allow yourself to dabble in temptation or to flirt with sin. Because here's what we know about sin. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And so we need to be aware of the subtle effects of sin in our life because what sin does is it it subtly 
begins to steal our sensitivity to God's spirit inside of us. And as our sensitivity begins to be stolen through our willful practice of sin, then our hearts begin to become hard. And when our hearts become to be hard, we begin to lose the life of God that we're we're called to, to enjoy and to embrace. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about losing that level of intimacy and relationship with the Lord that we're all designed to enjoy. Nothing entangles the heart and the soul like sin. Okay? And if we're not careful, if we, if we persist in sin long enough, it becomes like this Gordian knot that seems impossible to untie. And sometimes we feel trapped either because our sin has given way to addiction or, or because we're just so caught up in sinful behaviors and lifestyles that we feel like it's, it's such a massive knot, it can't be untangled. But the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus went to the cross to undo what your sin has done. Jesus went to the cross to untie the knot that your sin has created. And in fact, not only did he do that, but he gives us his grace that empowers us to keep ourselves from becoming knotted in sin again. I love this verse in in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What a great encouragement. God's grace is there for you and for me to enable us and empower us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions, to live upright, self-controlled, godly lives in this present age. Aren't you thankful you don't have to do it alone? Aren't you thankful that the grace of God is there to empower you? You see, Jesus broke the curse of sin so that you can break the cycle of sin. Jesus broke the curse of sin so that you can break the cycle of sin. And so the first step of being transformed is putting off the old. But I want to be really careful here that this doesn't come across as some kind of legalistic, Pharisaic, do-better type of message Because we are not capable of doing better on our own. We are only capable of living the life that God calls us to live as we rely on the power of his spirit inside of us and as we live in life and community together with one another, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Okay, let me be clear. The Christian life is not about sin management. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could manage your sin. He died on the cross to give you his life. Okay, so managing our sin, being aware of the sinful tendencies in our life is part of the journey of transformation, but it is incomplete on its own. It's not just enough to put off the old. Paul also tells us we need to put on the new, right? We need to put on the new. That's the second point. Paul says this in in verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life in Ephesians 4, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, you must put off. 
And then Paul goes on to a list of particular issues he's addressing in the Ephesian church. And and Ash read those earlier, so we're not going to go through those one by one. But there's some great uh, passages in there to marinate on, on what a transformed life looks like. A transformed life is not this, it is this. And Paul shows the Ephesian church that as he walks through this passage. But the point I want to make here this morning is, uh, is simply to focus on putting on the new. How do we put off the old? We know to put off the old, the key isn't to try harder, it's to rely deeper on the Holy Spirit in us to empower us through his grace to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's the key. That's how we put off the old. Not through our own strength, but by his might, by his spirit, says the Lord. All right, that's how we put off the old. How do we put on the new? I believe Paul tells us right here, it's by being made new in the attitude of your mind. Ephesians 4, 23. Craig Rochelle says this, I love this quote. He says, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. I'm going to give that to you again. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts thoughts. So we need to stop and think about what we think about. We need to think about how do we see ourselves? How do we view ourselves? What kind of thoughts do we entertain? Because we can get off drift. It's easy to to mess up, to make a mistake, and then to form a judgment and an opinion about ourselves that is out of alignment with the teaching of God's word. Amen. Okay, that was good. I'm aiming myself. Right? It's easy to get out of alignment with what the truth of God's word says. But Paul reminds us of this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. He says, so in Christ Jesus, I didn't bring the Miami Dolphin figures back because I don't want to get stoned, right? But you guys remember that, that the Holy Spirit's in us and we're in Christ. And, and if, you, if you missed that sermon, look at it from a few weeks ago. All right, but we are hidden in Christ. It's part of who we are. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. What a beautiful picture. When God looks at you, he doesn't look at the jagged swerves towards good and bad. He doesn't look at the sin patterns in your life. Rather, he sees the goodness of his son captured in a moment of time and applied to all eternity because our lives are hidden with Christ and God. Because we are in Christ, it's not because of how righteous we are. It's because of his righteousness that he has graciously deposited into our account. I would say this. I don't believe the church today has a sin problem. How many of you sin from time to time? The rest of you are lying right now. That was a sin, okay? So you're all guilty, right? We all sin from time to time. But I don't think our fundamental problem in the church is that we have a sin problem. I think we have an identity problem. Check out this little video clip. Sorry.
Okay, so notice what happens in this clip. This mammoth believes that she's a what? A possum. So because she believes she's a possum, how does she behave? Like a possum, right? She's trying to climb trees, right? She's afraid to come out during the day because she's afraid a bird is going to carry her off, right? That's just, that's just ridiculous. But the reality is this mammoth had a, an identity crisis, and she believed that she was someone else. Therefore, she began to act consistently with who she thought she was, even though that wasn't her true identity. Listen to this, church. You are not a sinner, you are a saint, all right? You are a saint. When the Bible says something, when the Bible repeats itself, you should think about it at least twice. And 63 times the New Testament refers to followers of Jesus, not as sinners, but as saints. But here's the deal, in, in some kind of effort to, to maintain some kind of posture of humility, we say this about ourselves over and over. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, right? Who, who said that here? Who? Right? You don't have to raise your hand. That's embarrassing. Right? We, we say it. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And we think it's humble. But the reality is you are believing a lie. You are not a sinner. You were a sinner. You were saved by grace. But that is no longer who you are. If you are in Christ, you have a new identity. Your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And what that means is when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint. Now, that doesn't mean that you never sin. But what it does mean is you are no longer... Uh, characterized by your sin, you are now characterized by your Savior. Okay? It doesn't mean there's never sin in your life, it doesn't, but it should become an exception. I believe one of the main reasons we continue to struggle with sin in the church over and over and over is because we have an identity crisis and we still primarily see ourselves as sinners. And what is it natural for a sinner to do? Sin. But I believe we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. We need to say, God, what does your word say about me? What, what does this book say about who I am if I am a follower of Jesus, if my life is now hidden with Christ and God, Colossians 3.3? 3. If that's true, then like Paul said in Ephesians 4.24, we need to put on the new self, which is, is, is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In fact, you know this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is, right, and the new has come. What is the old? It's your own basic sin nature. The new has come, and that is the righteousness and holiness that is ours in Christ. And so if we're going to really be transformed, it's not enough to just try to avoid sin. It's not enough to just let the Holy Spirit convict you of your sin. What you need to do is let the Holy Spirit convict you of your righteousness. The righteousness that is ours in Christ. It's just as important that we have a conviction from the Holy Spirit about the righteousness that is ours in Christ. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And when we recognize ourselves for who we really are, we recognize that the scriptures tell us over and over that we're a saint. When you know who you are, it frees you up to act in accordance with that truth. Why do we get stuck in the same sinful patterns over and over and over? I think maybe it's because we believe a lie about ourselves. All right? Don't call me a heretic. All right? I know you sin, but that no longer defines you. You are no longer defined by your sin if you belong to Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, you are now defined by your Savior. And he has given you his righteousness and holiness. So when it comes to transformation, we put off the old, 
Not by trying harder, but by relying on the Holy Spirit, by abiding deeper in him, and by inviting his grace to help us say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And then we put on the new. We recognize that we've been clothed with Christ, that we are a brand new creation. We remind ourselves of the truth of what God's word says about our identity. And when we've put off the old and we've put on the new, then the natural thing that happens once you've done those two things is number three, you live a life of love. Okay, you begin to live a life of love. A life of love is a natural byproduct for someone who has taken off the old and put on the new. Okay, it's a natural, sorry, it's a supernatural byproduct of someone who has taken off the old and put on the new. All right, this is the third characteristic of a transformed life. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5.1, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in the way of love. That is what transformed people do. At the end of the day, I believe a transformed life is a life of obedience. A transformed life is a life of obedience. And it's the love of God that fuels our obedience to Christ. In fact, Jesus told us this. You know this verse. Jesus told us this, that the world would know that we are his by our love for one another. In John 13, 35. And the degree to which we walk in love reflects, I believe, the degree to which we've been transformed by Christ. So if you find your thoughts and your actions to continually be unloving, go back to step one. Take off the old. Go to step two, put on the new, and then come back and walk in love. It's like, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Put off the old, put on the new, walk in love. Put off the old, put on the new, walk in love. Did you hear me? Put off the old, all right? Put on the new, walk in love. That is what we are called to do. God doesn't want to just change us. He wants to transform us. So if you would, take a moment right now. And I want you to think about where do you personally need to experience the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your own life? Is there a sin that you've been flirting with or waiting in that you need to bring into the light and repent of? Is there a temptation that you're entertaining? Is there a behavior or addiction that you need to see broken in your life? Is there a secret room in your heart that you need to invite Christ into? Do you need to change the way you think regarding your identity? Is there a step of obedience that the Lord's asking you to take? Where do you need to see the Holy Spirit transform your own heart? Do you need to put off the old? Do you need to study God's word and put on the new? Do you need to walk in love more consistently? My last quote as we get ready to go back into worship, is this. Mark Batterson once said, Most Christians will follow Jesus to the point of inconvenience, but no further. Ouch. Most Christians will follow Jesus to the point of inconvenience, but no further. Friends, we will never be transformed if we're not willing to follow Jesus past the point of inconvenience. May that never be true of us. Let's not just talk about being transformed. As we go back into worship, let's ask the Lord to actually transform us. 
So, Father, we pray now, as we take a few moments to reflect on this message, as we take a few moments to reflect on your word, would you show us where in our own hearts, in our own lives, we need the transforming work of the Holy Spirit? Lord, show us where we need to put off the old. Show us, Father, where we need to embrace the new and help us to live a life of love. Lord, we wait on you. We invite you to speak to us in these next few minutes because we don't want to just hear your word. We want to be doers of the word. Help each of us today to take hold of this message and to apply it to our lives and to invite your spirit to bring the transformation in our own hearts and lives that we so desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen.